Recorded live. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with you, <coughs> with your host, Hal Shirtliff. The show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's broadcast out of the beautiful Monticello, Maine, which is in uh, Arista County. Uh, anyway, um, this show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, and you can learn about all the things that we have to offer on our website, campconstitution.net. Among other things, we run a week-long, I guess a week-and-a-day-long summer camp program in southwestern New Hampshire in the town of Ringe, New Hampshire. And next year's camp will be from July 10th to the 17th, and we're already lining up some instructors and activities and events, and uh, hopefully uh, it will uh, top this year's camp, which would be hard to do. We also have a publishing arm. If you visit our website and you will see our camp bookstore, you will see some of the things we have to offer. One of the books that we published is um, a uh, book called America's Godly Heritage, uh, Morality and Freedom, and Camp Constitution's, uh, I I should say, America's Dynamic Duo, uh, Morality and Freedom, and Camp Constitution's Dynamic Duo, Reverend Stevie Kraft and Pastor Garrett Lear. And in there you get some insightful information from to uh, very fundamental uh, Christian ministers, uh, no-holds-barred, uh, straight-shooting types that uh, love the Lord, and they both are very much involved with Camp Constitution. They have incredible ministries, both are dear friends of mine, and you'll see some reprints of some very important uh, items. One of them is something that was published actually back in 1898 originally by John Dewey, uh, the foreword is written by our late and dear friend Sam Blumenfeld. And John Dewey, way back in 1898, suggested that literacy, high literacy was not necessary and that the goal was to in, indeed dumb the American people down. He didn't use that, those those terms, and he wasn't. Uh, but nevertheless, this article, although it was sort of dry, a dry tome, uh, dry dissertation, he uh, really exposes what the educators have been planning to do, and this is, goes back well over 100 years. So Common Core and outcome-based education and all these other educational schemes, uh, there's nothing new. It's, they've been around a long time. Anyway, I don't have a regular guest for this show. I was uh, hoping to line up a couple of... Uh, so I will have some really some special guests on the next few shows. One of them will be uh, Alan Keyes and uh, Edwin Vieira. I had the chance of uh, meeting both these gentlemen. Now, I've met Ed Vieira, uh, Edwin Vieira oh, a few years ago, very briefly, and um, our good friend and colleague, Dan McGonigal, is sort of uh, uh, a person who was really inspired by Dan McGonigal, um, Edwin Vieira and his writings. He heard him speak at Faneuil Hall in Boston. I think it was 2009 or 2010. It sort of changed his life. Uh, and um, Edwin Vieira and... Uh, and Alan Keyes, now Alan Keyes has been around a while. He was ambassador to the UN under the Reagan administration. I would, uh, but when I first met Alan Keyes about 15 years ago, it was at a function. Um, at that time, it was called the New Hampshire Center for Constitutional Studies. It is now the National Heritage Center for Constitutional Studies. So they kept the acronym. Uh, they just changed the name a little bit. And... We uh, at the table I had had a large sign that said "Get us out of the UN," and I handed him a pamphlet 
that said uh, 12 reasons to get out of the UN, and he said, oh, I'd give you more than 12. So it was, uh, I was surprised to hear that because uh, Ronald Reagan, while many people consider him to be the consummate conservative Republican, he was uh, far from it, and he was really a neocon that uh, had uh, internationalists all around him, George Bush, George Shultz, uh, and the like. In fact, I can talk a little bit about that. But anyway, Alan was uh, was a keynote speaker, and he did a phenomenal job. And after the uh, the various um, speakers, uh, Dr. Paul Jaley of the Plymouth Rock Foundation, who's been a, a friend of mine for quite a while, not a close friend, but uh, and he he uh, gave a wonderful presentation on interposition. And that is where the uh, lesser magistrates, people like the sheriffs, even local police, take a stand against uh, federal tyranny. And uh, there's a few examples where that's happening, and we need to see more of that. And um, Alan Keyes spoke on the meaning of the Ninth Amendment, and Edwin Vieira, uh, his speech concerned uh, administrative law blueprint for tyranny. And Edwin is... Some people say that he's the greatest legal scholar of the time. Uh, I'm inclined to agree with that. I can't say I've, I know all the legal scholars, constitutional scholars, I mean, uh, but I would say that he is one brilliant man. I tell, tell people he's got more degrees than a thermometer, and he's quite the erudite speaker, and he's got a great sense of humor, but uh, it's a lot, a lot of times his speeches are postgraduate uh, level. But anyway... Um, uh, but after the, uh, the speeches, they had a Q&A session, and I was very delighted <clears throat> to see that Alan Keyes has come out strongly against an Article 5 convention. Uh, we knew that uh, Edwin Vieira has come out uh, strongly against an Article 5. So here are two great scholars, constitutional scholars, both coming out against an Article 5. Now, at this event... The organization that sponsors it has taken a position against an Article 5, but there are a few people in the room that were behind it promoting one, and a few questions were asked to uh, the members of the panel, and one question was asked by a state rep from New Hampshire, Dan Itza, who is a friend, and he was also an instructor at Camp Constitution. Unfortunately, he's kind of kind of supports this, not kind of, he does support an Article 5 convention. He's got a blind side. He did tell me that he really doesn't want to see a convention called. He just wants to see Congress sort of get scared and then kind of do its job. But to me, it's like playing Russian roulette. And I know, by the way, that has been a tactic by others in the past. And sometimes, you know, you use certain tactics for an objective. But, again, I think that this is playing, playing Russian roulette with the Constitution. I don't think is the way to go. Anyway... Dan was one of the sponsors of a bill, not a resolution, but a bill that would try to control delegates to a convention from their particular, that particular state. And these types of resolution bills have been introduced all, all over the country. And uh, this particular session, that bill was passed both houses in New Hampshire, and it was vetoed by the Liberal Democrat governor, surprisingly enough, and she simply said that one of their former governors, who was a conservative, voted vetoed it. And he asked about whether or not this would solve the problem of a potential runaway convention and assuage all those against it. And uh, Edwin did a really good job. He said, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase, by the way, I did 
on Camp Constitution's YouTube channel, you can actually find that whole Q&A session. It's only about 25 minutes or so, and you'll get these comments um, toward, sort of towards the middle of the, of the program. But um, Alan, uh, I should say Edwin said, uh, you want to reign in the Supreme Court, so you have an Article 5 convention to change the rules when it comes to the Supreme Court, add an amendment or two. And then when there's issues about the, the, the delegates, there's issues about the convention itself, you have to go to the, the uh, Supreme Court to resolve it. So it's like circular reasoning. You know, you're going to trust the Supreme Court to rule against itself. It's not going to happen. And um, what, what Alan Keyes, and Alan Keyes is a very dynamic speaker. I mean, he sounds like a Baptist preacher uh, on steroids. But anyway, he's, uh, and it, so it's, he's entertaining. He's got a good voice that projects very well. And he said, um, and I'm not quoting him verbatim, but he said, uh, how are you going to rein in the delegates? He said, there are people that who, who even the people that believe in the Constitution aren't willing to defend it. He said, if you can't even do it, why do you expect these delegates to? And he went on to say, how are you going to control the Romney delegates or the Bush delegates or the Chris Christie delegates? Uh, and the Democrats will be here, Democrats who hate the Constitution and the Republicans who also hate it and want to see it changed and want to see the Ninth and Tenth Amendments repealed because it's an embarrassment to them, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it was, went extremely well, and I was uh, very impressed. And I don't know if it's going to change anybody's minds, but I got copies of the video posted on some Facebook pages, and I said so many ways. I said, uh, okay, Convention of States, now it's time to smear Alan Keyes who start denouncing him, but I bet you they won't. They'll just probably ignore him. They, you know, he's a little too well-known, and being a man of color, uh, they may uh, got to give him a pass on it, you see, because they don't want to be called racist. But anyway, I just thought I was very impressed by the, the whole evening. And by the way, New Hampshire Center of the Constitution, I should say National Heritage for Constitutional Center, if you're interested in learning about what they have, what they do, NH. CCS, New Hampshire Center for Constitutional Studies, nhccs.org, and uh, it's run by a lovely lady, Diane Gilbert, and I think they've been, uh, I think they've been around at least 20 years, so, um, and my good friend, Bill McNally, who's been a, uh, uh, indefatigable, how's that, uh, I have to say that word fast, to say it right, uh, champion of the Constitution, received their Constitution Award, and I was very impressed by that. Anyway, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, books that have changed your life or um, made a profound impact on your life. Now, of course, the Bible. Uh, I'm not talking about the Bible because that, that should be the, the pre primary book in, in anyone's life, and especially a believing Christian. Uh, obviously, the Bible has made a profound impact on the lives of millions of people in all generations. But uh, I'd like to talk about certain books, and, uh, and I'll recommend some. And I know that um, we we still believe in the old-fashioned hard copy book. And so Kindle is great, and you know videos are great, and all kind of all the blogs and all this great technology that we didn't have 15 or 20 years ago. So we can get the word out uh, much more. Uh, Camp Constitution, by the way, does have a Scribd page, s c r i b e dot com, and where you can find a lot of archives, things that have been out of print. Um, so, uh, so we and you can download it in PDF format, Word format. I think it's Kindle friendly and a few other um, types of friendly, a few other formats. Uh, but one of the books that I recommend to people who may be learning about the problem—it's not just 
liberals who uh, don't know any but dumb liberals or a, a communist, although that's still a problem. Um, but, but, but I believe, and Kemp Constitution believes, that what's happening is a result of a plan, a conspiracy. We're not afraid to use the word, and it's not that we engage in crazy conspiracy theories that we, we somehow just sit around waiting to conjure up the next conspiracy theory, alien shapeshifters in black helicopters. And by the way, I am of the opinion that some of these crazy, ridiculous uh, theories like the marathon bombing had a bunch of uh, legless veterans that just sort of flopped on the ground after the, the bombs went off. That type of thing makes, I think, they're deliberately manufactured to make the truth look ridiculous and stupid and silly. Um, I think the truth is good enough without having to embellish anything. And uh, as my late and dear friend Sam Blumenfeld would say, it is easier to believe a credible lie than to believe an incredible truth. But the book that I recommend, uh, people who kind of want to learn about this, you know, what book do you recommend? The Shadows of Power, The Council on, on Foreign Relations and the American Decline, written by James Perloff, who's a friend. He also has been an instructor at Camp Constitution and a guest on this show oh, earlier this year, I think. Uh, the book is available on Amazon. In fact, I think every book I mention is available on Amazon. And uh, Jim Perloff, to give you a little bit of background on him, I think the background, what, what, what makes the book more powerful is because he was a man who was a 60s radical. Uh, now, he didn't go around throwing bombs and burning things down, but he was sympathetic to that. The Black Panthers and Jerry Rubin and Abby Hoffman and all those, uh, the Vietnam War protesters and so forth. And by the way, it was legitimate to oppose the Vietnam War, wasn't legitimate to to give aid and, uh, aid and comfort to the North Vietnamese. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, the book goes into the history of the Council on Foreign Relations, and here is Jim Perloff, and as as a young man, you know, in favor of this. But then you have to ask yourself, you ask yourself some questions. He looked at where the money was coming from, the money to support their causes. It was coming from big foundations, establishment. Rockefellers, Ford Foundations. And then, you know, one question leads to more questions for the person who's seriously looking for answers. Lots of people don't want to know, and they're comfortable with where they are. They're comfortable with the misinformation, the lies. But he said, i got to ask this question. And then it was, yes, okay, this money is coming from the big foundations, the establishment, which he thought he was working against. So it raises more questions. Well, and, and he led to conclude that these these uh, insiders or uh, establishment people were either one afraid of us, so they were funding us to funding them to maybe buy them off, or maybe they turned the tables; they wouldn't be going after them so much. Or could be that the establishment is the uh, may, maybe they created us, and maybe we're doing exactly what they want. And it was very troubling, you know. You, got that, you know, you have this dichotomy here and the cognitive dissonance. You know, you got to accept one or the other. And he and he looked and he then then he saw the big foundations and who was behind the big foundations, and that led him to uh, the, the Council on Foreign Relations. And he starts off with uh, World War One, the Lusitania, uh, the end of World War One, of course, when the first Treaty of First Eyes was was signed, and then the creation of a couple of these uh, international globalist groups 
and uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, 1919, at the Manchester Hotel in, in Paris, France, and what can and then the, uh, the two entities spun out of that group, the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute for International Studies, and then the influence, the people that belong to this group, they were the the policymakers, the kingmakers, and how they gained influence from um, from the Roosevelt administration. We're now we're talking about Franklin Roosevelt up until today. And here's an organization with several, just several thousand members, not a whole lot, 3,500, I think there's less than 4,000. And uh, they've actually seemed to be gaining members the last uh, decade or so. And look at who they are. Media, military, the big corporations, Congress, uh, the Senate, the House of Representatives, the, the various presidential administrations, secretaries of state, practically every secretary of state since uh, the 30s, or at least the 40s, has been a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. I think there was one exception, and I can't remember who that was offhand. Um, so you have to ask yourself, you know, the, the, how influential this organization is. It's not like the AAA, you know, this is a small group, and they have an agenda. So the Council on Foreign Relations by James Perloff, it's available on Amazon for very, very short money. Now, the book that really changed my life as far as uh, the way I looked at the world, I used to be, I was always a conservative. I put that in quotation marks because the definition of conservative doesn't mean much anymore, but I always thought myself a conservative ever since I was young. Uh, you know, my dad owned a drugstore and he was robbed a lot and, uh, and they would sometimes catch the thieves or the, uh, the holdup men and they were given a slap on the wrist and you know, the business went down. They had, had to go out of business because he just couldn't. He was robbed so much, it wasn't insured, and just couldn't couldn't make any money after being robbed about ten to fifteen times. So that made me a uh, conservative. Uh, I was caught up in the height of forced busing in Boston, and saw the heavy hand of the federal government. It was even assaulted by a federal marshal. And when I tried to call nine one one to uh, to alleviate that, I, they, they laughed at me and it said uh, federal marshals are above the law. Now I'm just a teenager at the time. So I, uh, so I never uh, was a, what, what, what you call a liberal, although I learned a lot since then. And I, I remember in the late 60s and early 70s, I'm 56, so uh, I was uh, young, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, so during the Nixon administration. But Nixon was supposed to be a conservative, and the liberals were after him, so he has to be a good guy because all the liberals hate him, so there must be something good about him, right? And that's what a lot of people think. And... Uh, uh, so I thought, boy, you know, I got to defend Nixon and the flag and uh, all the all the things that Nixon stood for. Well, um, in 1988, actually it was 87, uh, a friend of mine who was at the time my landlord, he's now passed away, Warren Bradley. Warren was a, uh, a retired Boston policeman. I had worked together with him in a housing project as a security guard when I first got out of the Army. Ended up moving in an apartment, um, at a house with, a, with an apartment that I rented. And he loaned me a book. It was called Nixon, The Man Behind the Mask by Gary Allen. And I read, the, I devoured the book. I had always been an avid reader. And that book, in so many words, said that Watergate was chicken stealing compared to the things Nixon did. And it really made a lot of sense to me about the no-win war in Vietnam, about uh, the wage and price controls at Nixon, the people behind Nixon, uh, and I said, "Geez, you know." And, and the, uh, you know, so that book, and now Gary Allen himself, 
was the author of None Dare Call a Conspiracy, which came out in 1972, another important book, which is, I don't think it's in print, but there were about 7 or 8 million copies. So you can go to Amazon and find them, plenty of copies. It may have been put back in print. I know that his co-author at that time, Larry Abrams, had one, uh, I think it was called None Dare Call a Conspiracy 25 years later, in a hardback. And there may have been some uh, version of it uh, reprinted since then. But uh, and Gary Allen, by the way, was a, was a brilliant writer. He was a, a former leftist that saw the light thanks to his roommate at college. He played college football, I think, at Stanford University. And he was a high school teacher, a history teacher, who uh, went into really uh, was a liberal and was challenged to read certain things, certain books. And when he did that, he, he actually had to eat crow and became one of the the best writers, uh, most uh, the most prolific writer on the subject. And uh, so None Dare Call a Conspiracy is another book. It's only about 120 pages in the mass market paperback format. Uh, well, um, And he wrote uh, The Rockefeller File. He wrote Say No to the New World Order. I think he, he passed away in 1988, so that book uh, was his last book. But he also wrote a monthly article for a magazine called American Opinion, now defunct. And a lot of this is up online uh, in, in Scribd. You can find these articles. Uh, some of those these articles he wrote were put in pamphlet reprint format, which are available on Amazon. And I tell you, he was so far ahead of his time. I remember one of the articles he wrote, I think it was 1970 or 71, and it was concerning morality. It was just called morality. And he said that the militant homosexuals, among other things, want uh, to have marriage. And, of course, back then, people, come on now. That's a crazy... No, nobody's talking about men marrying each other and women marrying each other. That's crazy. You, You wackos. Well, now, today, if you don't totally, totally embrace that idea... You are a second-class citizen. You're evil. You should be hounded out of office, hounded out of your job, and ostracized. So, yeah, he was way ahead of his time. He also wrote a lot on the Federal Reserve Bank, on the environment, on the initial environmental movement. He wrote one called Ecology, I think it was. Um, And I don't know if he coined the term watermelon, red on the outside, green on the the outside, red on the inside. But uh, he mentioned that when the Vietnam War was sort of winding down, Many of the radicals of the, 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 that stripe ended up becoming greenies. Uh, and the, the objective was always the same, big government, more government and big government, and the destruction of freedom. So anything written by Gary Allen, I have to recommend. None Dare Call a Conspiracy, The Rockefeller File, uh, Say No to a New World Order. Uh, Henry Kissinger, remember, he did, a, he did a little paperback. And he also won Dylan and Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter was the name of the book. And I'll never forget, back in the early 90s, I think I had about two or 300 copies of this little paperback book that somebody gave me. Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter. I'm saying, you know, what am I going to do with this book? Jimmy Carter's no longer president. Uh, it's, you know, people, uh, I get, get them out here and they well, Jimmy Carter came to Boston. He was on some book signing session, and I said, oh, I don't know what to do with it. So, had a few of my friends go down to the, and I went down to the Boston Public Library. We passed them out to the attendees. So, so they were definitely, uh, definitely came back into vote. So, um, 
So I highly recommend anything written by Gary Allen. Uh, uh, what else could I recommend? Uh, there's a book called The Law by uh, Frederick Bastiat. Now, he wrote this book in the, I think it was 1850. Frederick Bastiat was the uh, was a uh, French assemblyman, a French statesman, a member of the French parliament. And the law is an answer to the Communist Manifesto. The book is only, I don't know if it's 60 pages, and it is just incredible. There's some great insights in this book. Um, he talks about legal plunder and what that is. Uh, and at the end of the book, he talks about uh, sort of Hillary's village, Hillary Clinton's village, where a small child has been born in this, it's this primitive village. And the witch doctor says this child has to have its nostrils enlarged, and someone else says it has to have its front tooth, or the, the lips lowered, and all these things to contort it so it will grow. And a stranger comes to town and says no to the village. He says, no, what God has done is well enough. Let this young child grow in freedom and liberty and, and so forth. And I, uh, and I, So I recall this, the answer to the Communist Manifesto. And I do recommend, I think you should some, read the, the books written by the bad guys. And uh, one of the books is um, uh, The Communist Manifesto, of course, by Karl Marx, written in 1848. Uh, written in 1848. And a lot of people have never read The Communist Manifesto. Uh, and uh, you know they'll think they think they know about communism, and they'll laugh at you when you say our nation is becoming communistic. And oh, you're crazy, you're a wacko. Well, read the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto, then tell me how crazy I am. And Marx talks about a central bank. He talks about the income tax. He talks about industrial armies. Isn't that what, wasn't that what the old Old Obama is trying to do now. We have these uh, civilian, civilian workers, civilian industrial armies. Um, he also talks that uh, homeschool is um, homeschoolers. Has, homeschooling has to be done away with. And plank number ten uh, talks about free education for all. Now that sounds very noble, free education, because someone has to pay for it. And what Karl Marx was advocating was total control of education. Also, want to do away with private property. I think that's plank. Was it plank one or two of the Communist Manifesto? And we see that happening with Agenda 21. Um, there are some people who say, "Well, gee, you know, Marx meant well. You know, it, it, Marxism isn't so bad. It's just that bad people have it, it tr tried to implement it. And it doesn't work. But if we get it right, it will be wonderful." Well, Karl Marx refutes that himself when he says that um, communism abolishes all eternal truths. He also looked at marriage. Uh, male and female marriage as uh, bourgeois, that had to be eliminated too. So people should know what the enemy has to say. Uh, so with that, I'd also recommend Saul Linsky's book, Rules for Radicals. Um, and he did, it's interesting too that this uh, slimy character, this enemy of freedom um, in his book, he dedicates it to Lucifer, the first rebel or the first, uh, yeah, the first progressive uh, and it, it, he was uh, from an atheist background, but uh, agnostic atheist background, but dedicate, dedicates the book to Lucifer. So those are, uh, those are just a few. There's lots and lots of things that uh, I think are important, but uh, we have to understand the problem. And that's one of the things, uh, first off, we know it's a spiritual problem. So if you can't get yourself right, right with God, um, 
you're not going to be very effective. And that's the problem with all these Tea Party groups. They mean well, but they, they just, they're bashing Democrats, they're bashing Obama, and they really don't understand the bigger picture. And, and, and if you're tea, some Tea Party groups do understand, and they're very actively involved in it, they're, but most of them are just going around looking for something to do and bashing, uh, bashing the wrong things. So uh, anyway, uh, I want to recommend uh, that you visit our Camp Constitution site, and we have some great information. And we're looking to start other camps around the country, and that's where the activists come in. We also are starting Camp Constitution Community Clubs where we can have a, a, an active hand in trying to uh, kind of work against some of these problems that we're having and create understanding of the Constitution. Uh, so uh, also the Art Sam Blumenfeld archives teach people how to read, uh, listen to the great wisdom of this uh, incredible man that we lost just a few months ago. Uh, you'll see you'll see a, uh, a, a, a site for that. On our website, you'll see a page with all the archives there. So again, thank you for listening. God bless you. CampConstitution.net. This is Hal Shirtliff with Camp Constitution Radio, heard on WBCQ, the planet, every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.